with So Av Podcast. Welcome to the So Af podcast, a weekly roundup of African stories told by Africans themselves. I am Enor Adeagan, a multimedia journalist with a passion for tales from the motherland. On today's episode, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of why so many Nigerians are claiming their president is dead. I also finally get to speak to Diane Rigawa, a Rwandan political prisoner that was locked up for daring to challenge the president in a general election. The good news is she has been acquitted, but I spoke to her while she was still on bail. Today's spotlight is on Nelson Mandela. It's been five years since his death and I still weep hearing his voice. And for Overheard on the Web, while the world is still talking about Tyson Fury, I want to share an interview Deontay Wilder did with a black British journalist that shares a message we can all learn from. But first... Here are the headlines. A Rwandan court in the capital Kigali has acquitted Diane Rigara and her mother of charges of inciting insurrection and forgery. Basically nonsense. I am so happy for her release, beyond excited. And to let you know that also my excitement comes from the fact that she's going to be on today's episode. As I said, I spoke to her days before her trial about how she had found herself in jail facing 22 years in prison for simply wanting to run to be president. A ban on public minibuses in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, has been reversed. Last week, it was announced that the buses, known locally as Matatus, will have to pick and drop off passengers at a terminal outside the city's central business district. The ban was imposed in a bid to decongest the capital, where more than 20,000 of these buses operate. But after pressure from some of society's most vulnerable people and pit is being shared online of thousands of commuters forced to walk to work instead or push heavy luggage while holding children, the power of the people's voice prevailed. An Egyptian actress that wore a see-through dress that exposed most of her legs to the Cairo Film Festival is going to appear in court after being accused of, quote, inciting debauchery. Rania Youssef has divided opinion in Egypt. While some are outraged, others say as a 44-year-old woman, she should be able to wear what she wants. She has since apologised. Now, I get the whole when in Rome saying, but in this case, Rome is complicated. When I travelled to Egypt for my documentary earlier this year, after advice from people, I went with only trousers and long dresses. But I was amazed that even the translator attached to my team wore fitted skirts above the knee and tourists roamed around in short shorts in the pyramids. Rania Youssef could be jailed for up to five years if found guilty. This is serious. 
Togo has banned a number of planned opposition protests, saying the marches pose a security risk. The opposition wants constitutional reform to reintroduce a two-term limit for presidents. And rightly so. A coalition of 14 opposition parties announced earlier this week that they would boycott a parliamentary election planned for the 20th of December and instead try to stop the electoral process. They've said that there's no grounds for the ban and they intend to carry on with the protest. And I called it last week and I was right. The Super Falcons have done it again. Nigeria has won its 11th title in 13 editions of the Women's African Cup of Nations. They beat South Africa in a penalty shootout in the final last Saturday. I was so happy to see how proud Nigerians were on social media and for them to be correctly labelled as African queens. The Still F Podcast. Have you ever been called fake? I hadn't until I moved to Nigeria and after becoming friends with an editor I worked with. He told me that when he first met me, he didn't like me because he thought I was fake. He actually thought I was faking a British accent. I credit myself as being Enor with whoever I'm around. I don't know how to be anyone else and I don't want to. So I can't imagine how Nigeria's president, Muhammadu Buhari, is feeling knowing that so many people are claiming he's dead. Of course, if he really is dead, he won't be feeling anything. Anyway, I think there are a few reasons that this rumour isn't dying. Excuse the unintended pun. Buhari, who is 75 years old, bear that in mind, has spent a lot of time off duty in the UK for medical reasons. Long extended periods where it got to the point that if you type Buhari in Google, the top search is Buhari dead 2018. The top 10 also includes, because I've checked, Buhari clone, Buhari imposter and Buhari body double. Another reason I think many Nigerians are questioning whether the man they have seen on TV really is Bahari is because when the former president, Yaradua, died in 2010 from a long-standing kidney condition, rumours were flying around already before that announcement that he was dead. The announcement by the acting president, Goodluck Jonathan, that obviously went on to become president, only seemed to confirm the rumours. Nigerians felt lied to all in the name of damage control. So rather than just ridiculing Nigerians, believing this rumour about Bahari being dead as just, you know, just saying that they're silly, understand that this stems from a place of mistrust. They just don't trust politicians. Now, as I said last week, the claim that the man in Asso Rock is actually a lookalike, quote, clone called Jabril from Sudan is just too wild for me to believe. But the fact that Bahari hadn't addressed the rumour added fuel to the fire. People claiming he died, such as the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra, used this as proof of Bahari's death. But how do you address that? What should he say? Hey, guys, it's me. If the man really is an imposter or a clone, of course that's what he would say. Well, bless him. He has, for the first time, addressed the issue on Sunday in Poland at a town hall session where he was attending a UN climate change conference. Yes, uh, uh, one important question. I I, I tend to forget about it. 
because uh, the authors of that uh, question must be ignorant and uh, irreligious. Somebody is so that I'm clone. Yes, I um, a lot of people uh, uh, hoped that I, I was dead and hoped I died. And uh, poor vice president, and so some people have started in fact asking for for his office whether he should consider them for being the vice president because I was dead. <laughs> They must have embarrassed him a lot because um, uh, he visited me uh, when, I, when I was at London Convalescent. I went onto his Twitter page and saw a sea of comments from people that seemed more annoyed by the fact he addressed the issue outside of Nigeria than the possibility that he really is a clone. It's the most ridiculous accusation to have to address because the only answer anyone can expect to get is that it's not true. Even if it is, I asked Nigerians whether they believed the rumor at all. I do not think that Buhari is dead. I mean, how? Who, is, who even starts these things? He's not. I, I feel like the fact that we need to debate if Buhari is dead or not totally casts a shadow on our reputation as, you know, well-learned people. Because this is the kind of stuff that people talk about when they are drunk. And it's almost impossible that an entire nation is all drunk at the same time. So I don't think that it's possible that the president is actually dead or that the person we're seeing now is a clone called Jibril from Sudan. I just think it's what you're seeing based on the fact that he looks really healthy is because he's you know living off taxpayers' money and getting the best healthcare money he can buy. This is what happens when you have access the way he has. So no, I don't think he's dead at all. I think it's highly unlikely that he's dead. How can he be dead? I mean, come on. We are all living in this country. I don't know what's going on. If he were to be dead, I think we would have gotten a wind of it by now. Buari is not dead. People are just trying to, like, distract us. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do. Why hide the fact that he is dead from we Nigerians or from the people of the world? Like, if he's really dead, I see no I see no reason why they should, why he should be hidden from the people. I just, I just see it as, as a way of distracting people, as a way of causing chaos. For me, I would just say it's an assumption and until it is proven to be true, I do not want to accept that it's very true. The SOAF Podcast. A few weeks ago, I shared the story of Diane Rigara, one of many political and human rights activists that have been locked up in Uganda. It seems for the crime of speaking your mind and thus deemed a political threat to the president. Diane and her mother were placed on bail and I've been trying to have the opportunity to speak to her for weeks. So I am so glad that my annoying journalist self kept on until I was able to have her on the podcast. And the bigger, better news is that a three-judge panel told a packed room that all the charges were, quote, baseless and she's been acquitted. I even spoke about her today on JHUK, a show on Yanga TV, sharing how brave she is and why the world needs to take more notice of poor Kagami. That's coming out tomorrow. Well, Diane has a story that shouldn't be ignored. So here it is. You've got such an amazing support system around you, you know, from your brother to your lawyer, to the people that are tweeting, using the hashtag um, free Diane. 
have you been surprised by how much people have just rallied behind you? Yes, I was uh, mostly glad, but also surprised. Yeah, I'm very uh, thankful. I'm very grateful to everybody who has shown their support to this cause. Let's go back to last year when you decided that you wanted to run to be president. That's not the easiest task. So I I commend you for for going for such a difficult job. What made you decide to do that? There are two reasons. The first reason is I wanted to expose the reality of living in Rwanda for many people, for many Rwandans. I wanted to be able to talk about the poverty, uh, the unemployment, among the youth, but mostly I wanted to expose the fear of living in a country where you are not allowed to criticize or challenge the government. The second reason is I do believe that Rwanda and Africa in general need new, young, fresh blood for things to change. And I would like to be part of that generation that we be able to um, challenge the status quo. And bearing in mind what you said about that, you know, the fear of being able to criticize the government, did you have any fear that you could be targeted because you were being that critical voice? To be honest, no, I was not afraid. I knew that, of course, there would be repercussions. Because in Rwanda, anybody who dares uh, to criticize uh, the ruling party, the RPF, has to either flee the country, uh, go to prison, or simply lose their lives. I knew what was coming. I was just tired of, of the way of living in fear. Uh, what, mm. What's the point? Mm. That's no way of life, you know? And that's why, you know, when I came across, I saw people using the hashtag, that's how I came across your story. And I was really just, I was so moved by how brave you were, even though for you, you're saying that, you know, you weren't afraid. This is just what you wanted to to do. It's it's really easy to criticize those in power and do nothing about it. But you decided you wanted to do something about it. Diane, did you feel that there was any chance you could win or did you just want to raise your voice and fight for people that don't feel that they're being fought for? I think anything is possible. So I thought that I might have a chance to win because I knew that many people were behind me. Many people supported and still support this cause. The only problem was the election system is rigged. So I knew that uh, because because of that problem of um, technicality during elections, I might not be able to win. But I had the confidence that um, if the elections are free and fair, yes, I would win. But unfortunately, that's not how it went. I was denied the platform to campaign. I did campaign a little bit before, but then uh, my candidacy was um, retracted. So, yeah, unfortunately, I was not able to go on. Oh, I see. Yes. Right. But I'm glad I was uh, able to uh, expose uh, the many issues uh, in our country. And then, of course, you were arrested. As many people have found themselves in the country that dare to um, question uh, the president's leadership. Talk me through that day. I'm sure you remember it clearly when you were arrested. 
Oh, I do remember it. I was uh, at my office with some people I work with and then uh, I just saw uh, people coming in out of nowhere with guns and um, they handcuffed us and uh, they brought me to my uh, house. And uh, when I got there, I was very surprised to find out that my whole family had been handcuffed and they took mm-hmm. us to the police station and... Um, yeah, and then it was just, uh, what can I say? It was just from that day, we spent a lot of time um, at the police station being interrogated. And uh, eventually my brothers got released and I stayed in jail with my mother and my sister. After a month and uh, a few days, uh, my sister also got released. And then I stayed in prison with my mother for a year and a few weeks. And that's just the price one has to pay for doing politics in Rwanda. Unfortunately, it's not just me being punished for my political opinions. My family, my entourage, my loved ones get also punished. In Rwanda, you, you are guilty by association. That's the problem. But what did, mm-hmm. what, what did they say? What was your charge? What were you guilty of? Public incitement and a forgery. Forgery? Mm. Yes. Uh, they say that uh, while I was looking for signatures during the campaign, I used false signatures. Mm. And what about your your mum? I, I mean, even with the rest of your family, they were re- released eventually aside from your mum. What was the charges yes. that were brought against them? My sister was also public incitement uh, because of the conversation uh, she has had uh, with me on WhatsApp. And my mother, it was also all three of us were charged with, um, me and my mother were charged with public incitement. For my mother, it was based on um, the conversations she had with her sister and her friend on WhatsApp. Messages were being read then. Uh, in, what happened was, uh, they, 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 when they um, arrested her, they went uh, through her phone but they asked her for her password and then she gave it to them and they just went through her messages and found out some exchanges she had with uh, her friend and her sister uh, talking about my father's assassination. Uh, so she was, she was arrested because of that too. And you say that you're not the only one. So this, is, this was routinely done. People that oppose the president are arrested. Whether you oppose uh, him openly or you are suspected of opposing him, that's a problem. Even when you just uh, suspected that uh, you can, uh, you, you just, you don't just get arrested. You, many people have lost their lives. Uh, many people have disappeared uh, because of, uh, they were, because of the suspected of uh, being against the government. So this is, is this, I mean, this is all linking back to Paul Kagami, which I've said before in another episode that I'm so confused when I hear these kind of stories, why he's praised so much in the West. Well, I think uh, Rwanda has succeeded in selling a certain image of the president and the ruling party. When you come to Kigali, uh, the city is very clean. You have uh, high, uh, nice, tall buildings and visitors, foreigners come here and they are impressed by that. But they fail to see the reality of living here as a Rwandan or they choose to ignore it. But to his credit, 
Paul Kagami, he he released sorry, 2,000 um, prisoners not so long ago. I, and I was really surprised when you weren't among those people. Why, why do you think you're not being released? Uh, you know, first I want to talk about those prisoners. Out of the 2,000 prisoners he released, only two were political prisoners. The rest of them uh, had been convicted of um, other crimes not related uh, to politics. Mm. Uh, so only two were political prisoners, and that is uh, in Victoire Ngavire and uh, Kizito Mihigo. And, uh, you know, I was not among them. I... I have been released with my mother on bail. Uh, we are on provisional release and um, we are going back to court this coming week. So soon. Yes. Um, for the verdict, the prosecution is proposing 22 years. Oh my goodness. And um, we will know what uh, the verdict uh, uh, on the 6th of this month, this coming week. Yes. Diana, how how confident, if at all, are you that you can get a fair trial? There's no such thing as a fair trial in Rwanda. Uh, but again, the system is very unpredictable. We don't know what will happen, but we are ready for any outcome. We just see and wait. We just see, we're waiting to, to see what happens. We don't know. So Diane, what I mean, if, and this is my prayer is going to be, I will pray as much as I can that you and your mum will be released. I really hope that happens. And if you are, what will come next? Well, um, before I went to prison, uh, I had founded a movement uh, called the PSM, People's Salvation Movement, Itabaza in Kenya, Rwanda. So I'm continuing with it uh, if I'm um, lucky to be released. And um, I want it to be this, this movement, the platform channel through which Rwandan voices can be heard. I want it to be the, the voice for the voiceless. And um, I want mainly for this movement to hold a government accountable because that's what's lacking in Rwanda. There's no accountability. The So Aft Spotlight. Bring back Nelson Mandela. Bring him back home to is on my symbolic grandfather, Nelson Mandela. Yesterday marked five years since South Africa's first black president and anti-apartheid icon died aged 95. In life, there are few men and women we're fortunate enough to have passed life by with knowing that they'll go down in the history books as being great. Nelson Mandela is an all-round model of the very best 
kind of person. I remember being in uni and whenever I would hear any reporter talking about Nelson Mandela, I would panic as I was listening to BBC Radio 4 and think, oh my goodness, he's dead. And then when it happened five years ago, like many people around the world, I joined in and not only wept, but celebrated the contribution this man has made to the world. Here's an interview he did on the Oprah Winfrey show back in 2000. How does a man spend 27 years in prison, put there by an oppressor, and come out of that experience with not a heart of stone, not a cold heart, but a heart that is willing to forgive and embrace? How is there no bitterness? Well, I hated oppression. And when I think about the past, the type of things they did, I feel angry. You have a limited time to stay on earth. You must try and use that period for the purpose of transforming your country into what you desire it to be. And therefore, you had to reject all negative features in your own soul in your blood system and focus your attention on the positive things. I wanted to be known as Mandela, a man with weaknesses, especially because I knew it was not the contribution of an individual which would bring about liberation mm -hmm. and the transform peaceful transformation of the country. And my first task when I came out was that to destroy that myth that uh, I was something other than an ordinary human being. I had said that you're one of the most humble, well, the most humble person I'd ever met. I will tell you that when Mr. Mandela arrived today, he uh, said that our producer met with him in the room and he said, what is the subject of today's show? <laughs> and she said, Nelson Mandela, you are the subject of today's show. He goes, oh, all right. You are not even, not, not modest, but uh, a very humble man. I wanted to ask, because I think that is the, the characteristic that stands out for you above all of them, that you are a peacemaker inside yourself. And how do we begin, those of us who aren't leading countries, but are just leading our own lives, leading our families, come to a sense of truth and reconciliation with ourselves to be a peacemaker? How do you do that? The first thing is to be honest with yourself. You can never have an impact on society if you have not changed yourself. And one of the most important weapons in changing yourself is to recognize that peace, I mean, people everywhere in the world want peace. But humility is one of the most important qualities which you must have. Because if you are humble, if you make people realize that uh, you are no threat to them, then people will embrace you. Overheard on the web. So here's a quick disclaimer. I'm not a boxing fan. I probably haven't been since I said Evander Holyfield was my favorite boxer when I was in year six. But I'm fascinated by the almost pantomime that takes place both before and after fights. 
golden sound bites of poetic monologues of violence. Just magical. So pair Tyson Fury together with Deontay Wilder and you should expect fireworks. But I cringed and completely agreed when Deontay seriously switched on a black British journalist that asked him a question about what he meant when he said, quote, his people had been fighting for 400 years. Take note that the journalist is black. I understand as a journalist the need to get interviews that are so good they can be played on TV, on radio, on the web, clips that grab attention. But come on. You said that your people have been fighting for 400 years. Come on, man. Your people's you know, too. So I just want you to explain your what you mean too. by that. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all all know what I'm talking about, man. Don't sit up here and try to bait and not know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what the fuck I talk about when I say these things. Your people too. Explain it. I, I ain't got to explain what's understood. Radio Raheem, I don't have to explain what's understood, man. You know what I mean by that. You know what I said about it. I didn't got to go farther. And if nobody, if anybody don't understand that, then God be with them. Go look up the history. Go look up the history. Shit, ain't, don't everybody believe in Google? Go Google that shit. See what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, man. You know what I dare you to sit up there and say, explain. You know what I'm talking about, man. It's fighting people. You know we've been fighting 400 and still fighting to this day. To this day. To this day. You just sit here, you don't know what I'm talking about? Man, I'm out of here, bro. The So Av Podcast. so much for listening to another episode of the SOAF podcast. It's been such a joy to be able to bring you good news. I'm, you know, so excited that we can follow stories as they're happening and speak to the people that are involved and Honestly, I don't know when I'm going to be able to stop talking about Diane's story and the need to bring attention to what Paul Kagami is doing in the country, whether or not the West decides to speak about it at all. Anyway, before I go off on one, thank you again. Please do get in touch with me on Twitter, Instagram, at Enor Adeogan. Let me know if you are someone that I should be talking to. I love hearing new voices and I want others to hear new voices as well. Until next time, bye-bye.